Good evening and welcome to the show. When Chris Bowen addressed the COP27 conference in Egypt in November, he had two main messages. The first was that after a decade of ambivalence under a conservative government, Australia under Labor was back on the climate change gravy train and that for the foreseeable future, Bowen and his colleagues would be frequent guests in the train's first class dining carriage, wherever in the world it took them. His other message was to poorer countries that can't afford to live, out, live it up so lavishly on the Climate Change Express. Never mind, he said, Australia will flick you a lazy $900 million to help you develop, quote, resilience in dealing with the climate emergency. Unfortunately, that money was restricted to our Pacific Island neighbours because one of the countries that attended COP27 could really use that money right now. When South African President Cyril Ramaphosa was granted a few minutes at the lectern at COP27, he said Africa, Africa was already experiencing the worsening effects of climate change. And to keep the world from overheating, loads of money needed to be shoveled his way. This then places a great deal of, of responsibility on developed economies to honour their commitments to those countries with the greatest need and countries that confront the greatest environmental social and economic effects of climate change. The commitments that were made must be honoured. Well, never mind the environmental, social and economic effects of climate change, Cyril old son. It's the social and economic effects of corruption and crime that are now driving South Africa to the point of collapse. Ramaphosa must now be sitting in his office in Cape Town and wondering if he'd played the wrong hand. Would the leaders of the world's richest countries have reached for their wallets a little quicker if he'd told them that his state-owned energy company, Eskom, had for years under the strain of incompetent management and ageing infrastructure been steadily increasing rolling blackouts and a complete collapse of the economy was now a distinct possibility. Probably not. As we've seen many times over the past decade or two, the developed world is only interested in helping poorer countries if doing so also assages the guilt they feel about having bigger homes and cars. You want us to help you prevent blackouts caused by crime and corruption? How is an Australian minister going to sell that to the swinging voters in a teal electorate? The situation in South Africa now is dangerously precarious. The number of blackouts in the first nine months of last year was four times the total for all of 2019. There is even talk of civil war erupting and embassies have told their staff to stock up on essential supplies. South Africa's transport network is in even more trouble. Exports of coal and iron ore have been reduced because Transnet, which runs the railways and ports, can't cope. 
Earnings from exports were reduced by billions of dollars. Which brings me back to Bowen. Australia's energy supply might not be crippled by crime and corruption, but we soon will be crippled by something equally pernicious. Net zero targets. It doesn't matter whether you destroy an energy system by corruption or by political idiocy. It's still destroyed. And that is where Bowen is taking us with his net zero targets and mind-blowingly expensive renewable energy infrastructure. Mind you, he's not alone. In less than two weeks, about five and a half million people will vote in the New South Wales election. There are some minor differences between the, the incumbent coalition and Labor, who are clear favourites with the bookies to nab the reins of power. But even these differences are meaningless because both parties are committed to net zero emissions by 2050. In other words, whoever wins this state election will be committed to destroying the state's economy because, according to the logic of climate change, that is the only way to ensure our children and grandchildren enjoy the same prosperity we do. Like Australia, South Africa is rich in natural resources. It should be a thriving, peaceful, free country. It's not, because the political system is based on cronyism and corruption. Net zero and renewable energy might seem benign by comparison, but the end result spiralling blackouts, industrial instability, economic contraction and social unrest will be just the same. Now let's go to Craig Kelly, who was a Liberal member of the House of Representatives before resigning from the party in disgust at the height of the COVID pandemic, then losing his seat in the election last year. He's now a United Australia Party candidate for the Legislative Council in the New South Wales election on March 25. Craig, welcome. Yeah, great to be with you, Fred. Craig, firstly, let's revisit a moment in the House of Representatives from July 2021 when you asked a rather pertinent question of your fellow members. We will deny you the freedom to earn a living. You will lose your job. You'll lose your family home unless you submit to taking a medical intervention. This is something that we have fought against. This is something against the Anzac spirit. What is wrong with you people? Craig, it's not often a member of parliament asks the whole house a question like that. How isolated did you feel back in Canberra back then when you were almost the lone voice, you and George Christensen and maybe one or two others, standing up for human, for Australian values and freedoms back then? Look, it certainly was a, um, a bit of a lonely uh, period of time. All the invitations to drinks and dinner on a, a Wednesday night sort of dried up. Um, you know, people would sort of like see you in the corridor and walk the other way. But look, it was, um, uh, I make no apologies after what I did. Um, and I believe history has shown that I was correct. Uh, everything, everyone now is running 100 miles away from these uh, 
mandates that we had. There was never any science. Even the Prime Minister has admitted there was never any science behind it. Uh, you know, why the Prime Minister didn't stand up, he had an opportunity to stand up. Uh, federally, the federal government had the power to stop all the mandates at the state level. Uh, every state premier also had that power. Uh, but it was a period of madness uh, in this country. And remember, this is still going on. This hasn't ended, and some people like to say, oh, just forget about it, it's all in the past. There are people today that are still out of work, that are still mandated out of their job because they refused to undergo a medical intervention. Now, we've signed up as Australia to human rights, international human rights treaties that simply say you cannot use coercion and disadvantage to force someone to undergo a medical intervention. And that is exactly what we did. Those, so people, single... th those people who are mandated out of jobs at the moment, are they contacting you? Where do they go? Look, they, they're, they're trying to raise as much of these issues as they can. Uh, there was someone on, on two GP radio stations the other day, a, a paramedic uh, down in the New South Wales country town of Tumut that's been mandated out of his jobs. He's fit and he's healthy. And as the science now tells us, being vaccine-free, he is less likely to have COVID than someone that's been injected two, three or four times, and yet he is unable to do his job. So every person in that town, in that regional area, their lives are actually being put at risk. Because when someone picks up the telephone, if you have something wrong with your elderly parents or your children, and you pick up that telephone and you dial triple O, and you call, it's an emergency, and you want an ambulance to come to your house as quickly as you possibly can. That ambulance service is not as resourced as it otherwise should be because we've got ambulance officers mandated out of their work. So we say, oh, sorry, we can't send around uh, uh, John, the ambulance driver. Uh, he could drive, he's, he's fit and he's healthy and he could drive the ambulance, but we're not letting him because he hasn't submitted to being injected several times. This is the madness that we are going on. It has cost lives already and it's going to cost more lives until all these mandates are obliterated and then there has to be some reckoning of this. There has to be some acknowledgement that those people that enforce those mandates, not only did they abuse human rights, absolutely crystal clear, they will be recorded in history as abusers of human rights. They should apologise and they should make sure everyone that was mandated out of work gets back paid. They were making decisions based on information that you say was, uh, was wrong. Is that right? Well, well, we had the Prime Minister only last week come out and say that there was no recommendation from all the uh, senior medical uh, bureaucrats about mandates. He said there was none, zero. They're the Prime Minister's words. So I don't know where these CEOs have got their data from or where they've got their information from. Because the Prime Minister said there was no science or no nothing to support these mandates. They were simply made up. Now, firstly, we had the, going back to the Prime Minister. He said, I never put in any mandates. Well, hang on a minute. I can remember there was a certain period of time where you couldn't leave Australia. Now, last, the, last I checked, the federal government controlled the, the borders and uh, immigration. And you couldn't leave Australia unless you had a vaccine passport. Where the Novak Djokovic, with a tennis player, kicked out of the country because he didn't have a vaccine passport to show he'd been inoculated or injected with this stuff. So for the Prime Minister to say he had nothing to do with it, um, you know, talk about short memories. Yeah, totally. And then we had Dominic... Yeah, it's gone. And then we had Dominic Perrottet, 
the state a premier of New South Wales going around and go, oh, I'm, you know, there's, I'm against it. There's no science behind this. I'm against it. But then he said, I can't do anything about it. Well, I'm sorry. The premier of this state is misleading the New South Wales population. There are several things he can do about these vaccine mandates. Firstly, he can call in, in the public service, he can call in the head of every department and the minister in charge and say, by five o'clock, close the business today, you'll get rid of those mandates and you'll contact everyone that has been kicked out of work and get them back as quickly as you possibly can. Otherwise, come nine o'clock tomorrow morning, I want your resignation on my desk. That's the power that the Premier has. Secondly, uh, for the private sector, the Premier has the power to introduce under the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Act that has provisions against, uh, which prohibits you from discriminating on employment grounds for age, race, sex, disability, uh, carers' responsibilities and transgender issues. So you can't discriminate against someone in employment in New South Wales because of transgender issues. All he has to do is add on COVID vaccine status and he can legislate to make sure these uh, mandates would be illegal in the private sector. Well, if these, if the decision-making process in Australia is mysterious to Australians, we did get a bit of insight into how these decisions were made via the lockdown files, which were published in The Telegraph in right. England last week. Now, they shone some very bright light on the way these decisions were being made. Not only were the people like Health Secretary Man, Matt Hancock making decisions for political expediency rather than the health of the population, they were, there were times when they were amused by the pain they caused other people. Now, Craig, do you think something similar happened here in Australia? I can tell you even better. I'd like to have a few dollars on something similar happening here in Australia. Did you see that Matt Hancock in, in the UK? Uh, the mentality of these people, the, the cruelty, uh, we know these people have totalitarian bents, but this is the type of mentality that likes to, you think, pulling wings off butterflies. They actually thought it was funny that they could lock people up for, for 15 days, take away their liberty, ha, 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 lock them in a small room. Like, what, a, what an appalling human being uh, that Matt Hancock is. But he's synonymous for all the state ministers that we've had and the federal ministers. Uh, they show there was never any science or any evidence behind these lockdowns. Pure, 100% political decisions, causing pain, suffering, hardship, and we know now death to thousands of Australians because they thought they could get some short-term political advantage. Well, this is why we need a commission into the COVID period to get all these people on the stand so they can be held accountable for the death and destruction that they've caused. Absolutely. Well, uh, when it comes to the jab, I suspect many Australians now know of someone who has died, a close friend or acquaintance, who has died soon after getting jabbed and, you know, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, wow, I wonder if those two are related. Do you think the public is ever going to, Australian public is ever going to start demanding answers for this? Well, very slowly. It's, it's <coughs> been a hand-to-hand -hand, uh, combat on this where you had almost everyone in the country uh, brainwashed into thinking these uh, COVID vaccines was some type of magic potion uh, that couldn't be questioned or couldn't be faulted. Uh, that was never the case. The science was never there. Even going back to the original Pfizer trials, uh, it's been pointed out now, those original trials, the data that they were forced to reveal, show that there were more deaths in the vaccinated group than there were in the placebo group. 
So based on that alone, these things should have never, never have obtained their provisional approval in Australia or their what the equivalent, the emergency youth authorization uh, in the US. They should have never obtained those because the data was clear from the word go that the safety requirements were not there. Well, we've got to keep pushing for a Royal Commission into this because otherwise it's just going to get shoved down the memory hole. Now, let's turn to the New South Wales election, Craig. Premier Dominic Perrottet, who is from your old party, the Liberals, is promising yes, yes. to open a $400 account for every child in the state, which will be used to, quote, secure the future dreams of our children. Now, how on earth does this work, Craig? Well, firstly, this, this is just a very sad reflection of what's happened to the modern-day uh, Liberal Party. This is the type of election bribe that you would expect from Labor or the Greens. Now, remember, every cent that they are talking about is borrowed money. So they are borrowing money to give a few, to give a few dollars to kids, which the children will have to pay back one way or the other uh, down the track with either lower government services or higher taxes. And what are they going to use that money for? What, to help pay the stamp duty, which goes back to the government on a house that they can't afford? It, 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 is, it, is, it is reckless. It is, it is, you know, to think that, that a, a Liberal government, once responsible, a fiscally responsible Liberal government, wants to give an election bribe of $400 to children. Like, why not throw in a couple of free ice creams and bags of lollies as well? If, if, you know. Well, that's, that's, I'm serious about it. It is. Well, you it's bribe, true. You're, bribe, you're right. I mean, these are just electoral... Let's, 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 yep. A bag of lollies if you vote for us. Yeah, this exactly. Like. Yeah. Borrowed money. Every single cent. It's not as though, they, look, we're going to open these new coal mines and the royalties from these coal mines will help set up this fund that we can use as they do at places like in Norway where they use the royalties from the oil revenue that they have. Now, if we're going to open these new coal mines and said we're going to quarantine the revenue from the royalties that give to future generations, fantastic. But what we're doing, we've got the Matt Keynes of the world closing down the productive assets, closing down the things that create the wealth and create the income for the state, and at the same time getting in deeper debt, borrowing more money as an election bribe. It, it, it is just appalling that the Liberal Party has descended into, in, into this, this what I just described. Well, I was, was going to say, a, Craig, that the, the... A reckless election bribe. It, well, it doesn't matter which of the ma two major parties gets elected anyway because they're both committed to net zero and which will both destroy the state's economy. Now, let's get back to your party, the UAP. How will the UAP keep whichever party wins in check in the upper house? Yeah, okay. So what we're doing, we're running as an independent group in the upper house. Uh, we're unable to run under the United Australia Party because, again, the, uh, the electoral laws in New South Wales favour the incumbents and you have to be registered almost two years in advance separately in New South Wales. So we're running as an independent team. But what we need to ensure at this election, no matter what the result is, no matter who controls the lower house, we need to have the upper house of government to do what it's meant to do in a Westminster system, and that is to be a check and a balance on the lower house. If you've got an upper house that is just a rubber stamp for the, uh, and after an upper house that is just a rubber stamp for the lower house, it's not what your traditional Westminster system is meant to be. You've got to have that upper house there, as I want to say, keeping the bastards honest, scrutinising the legislation, holding the bureaucrats and ministers to count through the committee process. That's why I argue people, if you want to vote in the lower house, to vote for either Labor or Liberal Party, as you have traditionally done, go for it. But whatever you do, make sure that you give your vote 
to one of the minor parties or the independents, such as myself, in the upper house so we can keep them at least honest. And especially if you're a former Liberal voter, because that's who you're looking for. Now, Craig, there's a new political convention in Australia these days, and that is that the major parties campaign on slogans and vague promises during elections and then announce what they really intend to do after they've won the election. Now, let's talk about what each party will do if it wins. What grand dream will Labor suddenly uh, announce if it wins power? Look, we've seen what's happened with Mr Albanese in the Labor federally. They they went to the election, what were the promise of, was it $275 reduction in electricity costs? And since they've got in power, we've seen nothing other than electricity costs just go north. Uh, Labor, Labor will be even worse, you know, as, as bad as we think Matt Keane is and the disaster that he's been at closing down our coal-fired power stations, Labor will be worse. Like we... Just to give you, put this in context of what we're doing in New South Wales, we, we, there was a report only a couple of weeks ago out of China. Uh, China currently have got 115 uh, megawatts, uh, sorry, 1,000, over 1,000 megawatts of electricity, electri- coal-fired electricity under construction. So there's 1,000 uh, megawatts under construction. They approved in the last 12 months another 2,500 megawatts. So all up, China's got over 3,500 megawatts of coal-fired electricity production, either under construction or ready to go. In Australia, we're closing down Liddell coal-fired power station, which is just a little bit over 1,000 megawatts. Remember, China's building uh, under construction or building 350,000. We've got 1,000 megawatts of Liddell and another 2,000 megawatts of Arari which is due to close down in two years' time, which even the energy market operator says will lead to blackouts. So we're going to have, we are punishing our, our state here in New South Wales. Blackouts are inevitable under both the Labor and Liberal Party's policies. And we think we're going to save the world when China's building more than 100 times what we are closing down. It is beyond absurd. It is going to wreck the economy of this state. And both the major parties, the Labor and Liberal Party, and the Greens are right behind this. That's why I'm begging people, make sure that you give in the upper house that you vote for strong, the minor parties, and all the independents such as myself. Yeah, well, with both major parties offering pretty much the same road to ruin in the lower house, it really is important that we get the upper house vote right. Craig, Craig Kelly, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Red. Great to be with you. That's Craig Kelly from the United Australian Party and a candidate in the New South Wales election on March 25. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. And in case you missed it, go to our website, adh.tv, or our app, and have a look at the most recent episode of Nick Cater's Battleground. Nick has uncovered clean energy's dirty secret, great swathes of New South Wales bushland dug up for the construction of 60 200-metre-high windmills, just one of the many wind farms being built to achieve climate change Minister Chris Bowen's net zero targets. 
And while you're there, catch up on our website, catch up on all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, including Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Lyle Shelton, and many more. Or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary, and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7 p.m. Good night.